Hello, everybody, and welcome to Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing Radio audience. <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> Tongue twisters, I have known. <laughs> yeah. So how's your week been, Marlene? Good. I've had I've had a really fun, busy week so far, and um, I'm running a master's camp up here at home and um, have had people coming from New York State, Massachusetts, Ontario. So it's been really, really, really fun um, to get people out on the water and do some head racing preparation and talk about intensively improving our sculling. So that's kind of been my focus this week is being out on water and, you know, running the and having nice long breakfasts and long video review sessions where you actually, you know, I think that's the real benefit of something that's a camp or when people get together um, in a, in a new situation is it's a rare time that you actually get to dig into questions and, you know, advance the learning and, talk about things and compare notes. So it's been really fun. Good for you. So I've spent the week recovering from our national championships, which were last weekend. And um, yes, I yes, I won some races. And yes, I, I got some other also ran medals. My principal disappointment, if I'm being honest, is there was a girl who I beat in the single two weeks prior. And she beat me convincingly. And I... Huh. Exactly. I did a better race because I checked all my data. It was much um, a flatter race profile. I was at mm -hmm. least one and a half points higher in rate as well. And I can only put it down to it was pretty rough in the previous regatta. Maybe she doesn't like rowing in rough water and I do. Oh, and the, the there was a regatta the week before? Two, two weeks before, yeah. Yeah. Well, when I so I don't know. That was disappointing. It was good. I got. I have a silver medal. I'm not complaining. I'm just, you know, you you sort of think you you start your mind starts going. What could I have done differently? What could I have done better? You know. Well, do you think there was a you could have done a different lead up to that race, like in terms no. of other events that you did? No. Okay. Uh, certainly other events, but more actually, I could have done more practice in my single because you know you're in a lot of different events. I yes. personally was, and so yeah, if you want to see. This is what the um, this is what the water was like in the previous regatta. So this is a oh a, wow yeah eight of many colours. <laughs> this yes. is the ultimate eight with people from a lot of different clubs. I think I can see two people. I think there are four guys who appear to all be from the same club. But the others are all another four guys all from different clubs. Um, well, so that's, that was that's, lumpy. That's pretty difficult. That's pretty difficult water. Actually, I saw a little bit of that today, too, that I would prefer to forget today. So anyway. It wasn't quite that rough in the singles events, but it, it definitely was. But, you know, that's that's what happens when you're racing outdoors. But well, we had a really good regatta, and everyone from our club got a medal. Well, and, good for them. And, you yeah. know, I think it's got to be the program. Well, we have our debrief tonight. So everyone's turning up at the club with – Whatever they would like to eat and drink at six o'clock on a Friday night. So you can kind of guess what that's going to be. Um, just to do a debrief and to take some recommendations back to the committee. So it's 
it, I'm glad we're doing this quite soon after the event because, you know, yes. in the immediate aftermath, you know, you're loading the boat trailer and then driving home and people are usually really full of bright ideas and then over time they forget. Right. Well, I, you know, another best practice that I think is really good is look back at either your races or your regatta and write down 10 things that you think you did really well and 10 things that you would like to improve. And I think when you do your, when you make your list of 10 things you would like that you felt you did really well, look at the whole 24 hours before you raced. So that includes your food, your nutrition, sleep. what was your stress level, your sleep, what were you thinking about? What were you, cause you know, sometimes when you, you come out with that race, that's really good. You know, you want, you want to, include the things like oh it really helped the fact that i did this or i did this at this time um yeah or i was well organized or i wasn't around rushing around because i forgot my bow number i was well prepared so you know i think hmm. it's a great practice 10 things you did really well and 10 things you want to continue to improve on because we're never mm -hmm. there we're just in the oh. process of everything so we are never there totally not now, the sponsor for this week's podcast is the Sculling Intensive Program. I have mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again because it starts in exactly one week at 8 p.m. Eastern. And this is a week of tuition led by myself. Everything is virtual, but the plan is that you will get on the water as many days as you can, ideally every day, in a single skull with guided instruction from me on back to basics. So it's designed for people who want to move with confidence in their single. And this course is, will take you through the entire stroke cycle over the course of the week. And it is focused just on single sculling technique. So if you think either I would like to be more confident, I'd like to learn how to get my blades off the water, I'd like to learn how to move with the boat rather than sitting on top of it, have a look online, search for Sculling Intensive on the Faster Masters website, or if you're a newsletter subscriber, it's been in your inbox. Um, and it's also an opportunity if you're a more experienced sculler and you'd like to do a little maybe technique reset. Every few years, it is worthwhile going right back to the beginning and not learning again, but refreshing your knowledge. There are oftentimes things that you knew that you've forgotten. And if you have particular technique things that you know you'd like to overcome and use the next period from now through to the end of the year as a opportunity to get your technique really solid so that when you come for your next uh, racing events or um, challenges, whatever it is you're going to do, that actually you then embedded a slightly different technique, this is definitely the course for you. As I said, I look forward to seeing everybody online. I'll tell you a little secret. Since we've both been sculling for a long, long time, but I found quite organically that about every five or six years, I really had to do a major technique reset because you would get to a certain point with something. And then if you didn't make that correction, you couldn't go any further. And that could be something like really dropping your wrists at the release and not learning how to get the blades out of the water cleanly. Um, there, there could be different things, not learning how to feather and square properly, 
So, you know, there might be something that you've been doing quite well all along the way and having some success, but there's going to be a point where you really want to improve your drive suspension. If you're not able to come into the release correctly, you're really not going to be able to make that release and hold the drive suspension. So I, you know, I always found that every five or six years I needed to revisit these basics and say, well, okay, I've been fluffing my way through that one. And now I've got to like address it. And then you just spend the time on it because maybe you have the other skills that work quite well. But, you know, I think as a refresher or for moving from this level to that, that level, going through these skills is really important. Yeah. And if you can't make every day in terms of practicing on the water, don't worry. The key is to come to the nightly Zooms. They're at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, that's uh, if you're in North America or five o'clock Pacific time. And then there is a separate but identical event that I'm running later in October for the European time zone. So uh, don't don't stress if you look it up and find that uh, it's at 1 a.m. because we'll, we're doing it again for you later. Uh, so I very much hope that we can welcome a large number of people onto this course and uh, that we can really help you make any step changes that you want to refocus and align your technique with what we believe to be broadly best practice. Now, our topic for today is cramps, cramping in the boat. And this was triggered by a question that we got from a listener. Marlene, can you remember what it was exactly that they asked? Well, actually, she expressed the fact that after a long row, that she experienced pretty strong foot cramps as well as one of her rowing partners kind of at the end of a row. And um, that kind of triggered our discussion about, well, cramping can definitely be an issue. I personally have never really experienced foot cramps in the boat. Um, but, you know, there are other types of, there are other types of cramps. So my first thought could be nutritional that that's probably what I would think of first like you know make sure you're looking at your potassium magnesium balance you know kind of your electrolyte balances that can that can affect your hydration I think your electrolyte balance um, so that might be one area to check into what's your calcium magnesium potassium levels do like are you eating enough bananas, for example? So um, it could be nutritionally or hydration based. That's certainly something I think that that one should check. It might be, it might be like, you know, are you are you gripping your foot stretcher a little bit too much with your toes, huh. and and sort of you know Muscular. like your yeah or like your in like your instep is getting really tight. Um, could that cause it? I mean, as I said, I've never experienced a foot cramp in a boat, but I was thinking like, like sometimes if you're swimming, you can get a cramp on your instep, which, which sometimes, you know, happens during swimming. So that might be something to consider. Uh, how, what do you do when you get a cramp like that? <laughs> Cause I, well, sure it, it, yeah, one thing at a time. So I totally agree with the, um, your muscle overuse potentially mm -hmm. leading to cramps. Um, personally, my calves are more of a problem than my instep. Mm -hmm. um, 
I definitely, I, I row with someone who experiences night cramps from time to time. And she had one in the boat uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so try and find out what triggers your cramp. But secondly, if you get it, what do you do to release a cramp? So a cramp is a muscle where it's tightened up. So it's in contraction, not extension. Is that right, Marley? Yes. I mean, when your muscle cramps, it goes into contraction and it doesn't want to let go. Um, and by the way, that's where your, um, from a nutritional point of view, that's where your calcium and magnesium balance comes into play because calcium is one of the things that helps your muscles lock and unlock your muscle fibers. They lock and unlock they, like a ratchet system. That's how your muscle fibers contract. And that's where those, um, those minerals interact with your muscle fibers. So that's, you know, that's what I'm thinking. Like you might contract, but then there isn't enough to trigger the release mechanism. So that's, that's one area. So one of the neurological ways that you can relieve a cramp is by contracting the opposite muscle. So we have a mechanism in our nervous system, which is called reciprocal inhibition. You will not be tested on this, <laughs> but <laughs> reciprocal in inhibition basically means, okay, if like, here's, here's my biceps. Okay. If I'm contracting my biceps, my triceps has to relax to allow the movement at the joint. So if you contract one muscle, the antagonist muscle is going to relax. So for example, this is one way, one method of of relieving cramps. So if you have a cramp on the instep of your foot, what I would suggest is like try to plant your foot down on a firm surface and try to lift your toes, keep your heel on the ground and lift your toes up off the floor because that's going to be a little, that's going, you know, you're going to contract the muscles in the roof of your foot to relieve the muscles in the arch of your foot, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, but you need to, you know, even putting like putting a little bit of compression, like a little bit of compression in your heel and then lifting your foot, your toes up, your whole foot up off the floor, you know, that, that kind of puts that message into the arch of your foot, like relax these muscles, we're moving the other muscles, you have to let go. So that's, that's, that's one way. Then let's go through a few other other ones. So let's talk about carbs, since that happens to be my one. So I want my question answered. What's the antagonist muscle for, for a calf muscle cramp? Well, for your if it were your calf muscle, what if you were sitting in a chair, what I would do is like extend your leg and then pull your toes all the way towards you. Yeah. You know, because then because so, then you're well, you can get someone else to do that for you if you yeah, can't. Yeah, well. Well, if you do it actively, that calf muscle is going to say, I've got to release to let to let the joint move. But yeah. somebody could do a little overstretch for you just, yeah. you know, that way. Um, you can also do that with an elastic, by the way. If you sit down on the floor and your legs are straight, pull your toes towards you. And then with the elastic, use a little bit of over, just a little bit of overpressure 
then push against it, then pull back against it again. So like kind of moving your foot like this against the elastic. Yeah. That, that, that can help that too, but that can be quite, that can be quite painful when the, when your calves lock up like that. Tell me about it. And that's typically where there's a Charlie horse. What's a Charlie horse, Molly? Okay. So a Charlie horse, I mentioned Charlie horse and Rebecca goes, what's a Charlie horse? Well, a Charlie horse is, it's a common name for a, just, it's a common name for a muscle spasm or a cramp and it can actually happen anywhere, but typically it will happen in your leg, particularly very common in, in the, the calf. And it's when like, especially if you're laying down in bed or sleeping and you get this cramp in your calf and then it won't let go. That is a Charlie horse. Um, but here's where it says, I Googled this, so I'm going to admit it. So someone said, why do they call it a Charlie horse? I thought this is a really good question. So we know the term Charlie horse originated when American baseball players were describing cramps. Possibly the players named the painful cramps in reference to a lame horse named Charlie that worked at the Chicago White Sox playing field in the late 1800s. He probably pulled the lawn mowing machine. Something well, like I'm that, trying. right? Anyway, I thought that was kind of an interesting bit of trivia. So, oh, so cool. Uh, a couple of our live watchers. I've had a hamstring cramp in the boat. And yes, it was nutritional hydration in nature. I was improperly dressed too. Holy cow, that hurt. Yeah. Well, hamstrings so, really hurt, right? So, yeah. so to problem solve for our listeners, if you have a hamstring cramp, what do you want to do? You want to contract your quad really hard. And contracting your quadriceps is going to relieve the hamstring. So literally you just like brace your leg. How would you contract? Well, you you can if if it's your quad, you want to try to break, you want to try to extend your knee. Okay, so if you're sitting down and you get this cramp in your hamstring, straightening your leg and holding your quad is going to help relax that. Okay, mm. that's one way. Another way is if you're lying down on the floor and you 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 that say you're say you you've got this your cramp in your leg right and you're lying down on the floor and the cramp is in your hamstring lift like almost like you're doing a straight leg lift oh. lift your leg and and contract your quad so your leg is extended and then you you lift you lift your leg up straight off the floor to contract your quad and contracting your quad is going to to relax your hamstring Huh. Well, there, there you go. And uh, another listener said, I've used a pack of yellow mustard in an adventure race to stop a cramp and get back on the course. Something about the turmeric and vinegar. Oh, like he actually ate it, ate the mustard? I don't know. Or whether it was sort of rubbed onto the cramp. Perhaps, um, Glenda, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about how, did you just happen to have a tube of mustard in your pocket or is this something that you buy from um, a sports shop? Um because, yeah, mustard. That's interesting. Well, turmeric for sure. Yeah, the turmeric and the, the interesting. That is very interesting. Um, Certainly, mustard baths were a Victorian remedy for having a cold or a chill. Oh um, yeah. So okay. So she 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 actually ha like ate it out of the pack. Well, that is a really interesting tip. That is how very. Quickly, how quickly did it act, Glenda? I mean, you know, it sounds like you obviously had to drop out of the race for a, a brief period. In order to recover, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
now interesting. I'm very interested in this. Uh, fortunately, I don't suffer, but uh, too much. Let's move well, we'll on to carry mustard with us <laughs> anyway. carry mustard all the time. Uh, here we go. She says it was just a couple of minutes, so mm -hmm. that's really that's pretty immediate. I want to move on to forearm cramps because, particularly oh. for people, when you swap from sweep to sculling, and in sweep, if you swap from one side of the boat to the other, often you are using the wrong hand, and it's usually triggered by tension too much tension, usually in your grip. So what's your forearm cramp recommendations? Oh, and then actually another, just to add another situation there, if you're in a, if you're sculling and you're in a turning race and you have to turn a buoy and you have to really bring yourself around with one arm. And then when yeah. you start to row with both, that can be a real cramp situation. Um, huh. Relaxing the hands, you know, I think, I think that's, that's, Getting into a, a general rhythm when you're you're able to slightly release tension on your hands regularly through through the stroke cycle. So what, if you feather, relax your fingers a little bit. You square up, relax your fingers a little bit. Um, really letting the handle move in your fingers rather than grip over over gripping and moving your hand with the handle. That that's certain that can really when you're rowing at a high stroke rate under high pressure, that can really, really lock up your forearm. So just just being able to release your hands a little bit makes such a huge difference. Keep you've got to keep your circulation going. So, the, you know, decreasing the tension, but also just keeping the circulation going. And it so reminds me. Oh, works in a race situation because where you cannot stop or you do not want to stop. So definitely. What does it remind you? Well, I was going to say it reminds me of years and years ago. We used to have to do bench pull tests, right? Which oh, are probably a little bit archaic now. But but when you had to do a six minute bench pull test with, you know, 30 kilos, mm -hmm. if you held the bar the whole time, there was just no way you were going to finish this test. You would absolutely be locked up and cramped up. So you had to get into a rhythm like that. You you set the bar down and you just briefly relaxed your hands and the up did the next one. Briefly relaxed your hands, just a little tension off the handles, and then you wouldn't get the forearm cramps. But if you tried to hold that bar for six minutes without releasing the tension off your hands, there's no there's no way you would make it. So the other cause of forearm cramps specifically is a situation I've seen where someone has, it was a sculler who came into a sweep um, boat when we were actually doing seat racing and her forearm just literally swelled up. It was visibly larger. And I was really annoyed that the coaches then let her drop out of the seat racing, but actually because it was just caused by tension. All you have to do is raise your arm and then open and close your hand, pump your hand open into a fist and open it. And that provokes the circulation. And by raising your arm above your level of your heart, the blood will drain out and it, you know, it gets your circulation back. It's very similar to what you said about the bench mm -hmm. pull test. And I was just, nobody seemed to realize that, it was caused just by tension. And all she needed to do was learn how not to, well, it's hard to do it. I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to sort of, you know, be critical, but it was frustrated the hell out of me because, you know, 
it was easy to solve, but nobody seemed to understand how to solve mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. And I think I think it's a good habit when you're out on the water, whether it doesn't matter whether you're in a sweet boat or sculling, you know, once you feather, you feather and as you're following through, just relax your just habitually just relax your fingers a little bit. That yeah. that can be a not just and you're just in the habit of just okay, um, I'm going to say let the orlock be an orlock. <laughs> you do not have to be an orlock. Let feather let the blade let the sleeve sit in the orlock rest your weight over your hands let take a little tension out of your fingers and forearms i think that as a general practice really really helps you in racing especially when you're you know working at some really high rates um because forearm craps can be killers you know you'll just end up crabbing and feeling really terrible yeah. you don't have control of the oar handles one of our live watchers says, I've had an adductor cramp during a sprint race, the third one of the day. So how do you release an abductor? First, what so is your, the abductor muscle? Your, your, well, AB, abductor away from the center line of the body. So adductor goes into the center of the body. Abductor pulls you away from the center of the body. So in this case, this could be your gluteus medius, my guess, if it's a hip abductor. Gluteus medius is, if you put your hand in your pocket, that's your gluteus medius. So it's kind of on the side where you put your hands in your pockets. It is a big stabilizer of the hip. So when you, when you walk, if, you're, if your um, gluteus medius isn't, is weak, your, your hips, your hips going to collapse. Like if you feel like, oh, my hip's going to give out, that's your gluteus medius. So in rowing, it is a big stabilizer of your hip. And if your legs are like going out to the side, that's, or, or your legs are waving, that's often indication of, a, you know, you need to do some work on your hip stabilizers. So it is a muscle that works quite a lot in rowing, even though you're, you don't pay that much attention to it because you're sitting, but it's right, you know, it's right on the side there. So what you would have to do, what my suggestion would be, take your water bottle and squeeze it between your knees. Wow. Why does that yeah. work? Because, because you're, you're, it's the abductors are on the outside of your hips, right? So it's like where you put your hands in your pockets and the opposite, mm -hmm. the opposite to that is going to be squeezing your knees together rather than mm -hmm. if your knees splay apart, that's your abductor. If you pull them together, those are your adductors. So if you want to do the opposite motion, you want to like squeeze your knees together, which is kind of funny. But um, sometimes if people have weak gluteus medius, one of the exercises is um, row with like a Nerf ball or a mm. yoga block between your knees. Mm. You know, so that that can help relieve some of that as well. So but yeah, yeah, the opposite would be squeeze your knees. Yeah, I'm not sure you could do that in the middle of a race. So, so. <laughs> No, maybe not, but you know, ow, it, it's, you know, ow, it hurts, that does yeah. hurt. Yeah, indeed. Now the last cramp that we want to talk about today is whiplash. And I have experienced a little neck stress when I've turned around to look to steer and have had a sharp pain in the side of my neck on, on the side that I'm turning. Is that whiplash? Yeah. Yeah. If you do look, like a quick motion like that. It could be yeah. like, oftentimes it's, it's here. It's like yeah, right up into your ear. Yeah. Well, there's a, here's, here's a term. You guys will not be tested on this again. 
there's a muscle called your sternocleidomastoid, okay? And basically, it's just like, it goes from your chest, you know, um, up to this mastoid process, which is right behind your ears, right? Like at the base of your neck. And so, and that tilts your head and turns your head. So oftentimes if we're in the boat and we quickly turn and then turn back, we're sort of rapidly contracting that muscle and then bringing our head back. Huh. And that's why sometimes, or like when people are, if people are in car accidents and, and they get yeah. jolted, that's oftentimes the muscle that really gets strained. But that can happen. For example, it's cold out. You get your muscles a little bit cold. You turn a little bit too quickly or you turn to the opposite side. You know, that can cause whiplash, which basically, you know, causes a Charlie horse in your neck. Um, and that, you know, that good stretching massage, you know, that's the other thing for cramps, just massage, try to warm it, you know, try to warm it up. Um, See if you can, you can release, see if you can, you know, just release that with like some pressure and on your um, fingers. Yeah, yeah. Certain looking to one side a little bit and then back to center, pushing it a little further and a little further and a little further. For me, that is the way to gently relieve that. It doesn't make it completely go away, but it, it, it backs it off enough that it's not front of mind. Right. Yeah. It, and, and I mean, sometimes it just, you do the same thing all the time and some days it happens and who knows why, you know, could, could have been temperature, could have been just the, the boat rocked a little bit as you were doing that. It put a little bit of strain on you, you know, there's multiple reasons, but, um, but, you know, gentle stretching, mas massage, you know, if, if, if you can stretch this way, it's going to help. Um, so Marlene's just tilting her head to one yeah, side. And I know. And so it feels really good. <laughs> using her hand to pull her head down on one yeah. side while rubbing the muscle. So are cold muscles more susceptible to cramp? I believe so. Uh -huh. Interesting. Because, so warm-up world, kids. Okay, this is our third word, word that this week that you will not be tested on. Thixotrophy, okay? Thixotrophy. What is thixotrophy? Connective tissue. So these are our muscles and our ligaments. Our, you know, our muscles, ligaments, and tendons are thixotrophic. And what that means, it's just a fancy word that means when it's warm, they're more pliable and liquidy. And when it's cold, they're thick and, and stiffer. So our connective tissue is thixotrophic. Well, there we go. The adductor person says, thanks. I guess the adductor would be to bring your knees out a bit. So this is the opposite to the abductor. This is the adductor. Bring your knees out a bit during the motion. I rode easy to get the blood and then increased my speed. Well, you got no, over your, the your adductors were going to pull your knees in. It's your adductors that pull your knees out. Yeah. The, the previous yeah. question they were asking okay. about the other oh. one. Okay, so got it, they got were, it. You know, the abductor, and now the question is for the adductor. Okay, yes, <laughs> we'll do that like 20 times. <laughs> now, Kate says, I get cramped, but usually towards the end of an outing, most usually in my feet, but also in my calves. So, is tiredness possibly a challenge here? I would say definitely look at your electrolytes, definitely look at your look at you know. It, look at your hydration level, you know, hydration, maybe you need a couple pieces of bananas or a little potato during your outing. Um, you know, little potatoes are, um, 
like little power bars, okay? Because they've got all your all your minerals in them, your potassium and your magnesium, a little bit of salt. Um, so a little couple pieces of boiled potato can actually be really good in an outing as a, you know, if you need a little bit of calories to take in during an outing. And electrolytes basically implies that you shouldn't just be drinking straight water. You should be drinking a mix that has salts in it. Yep. Yep. A little bit of salt and potassium because, again, that that's what the potassium and magnesium and calcium, that's what affects how your muscle fibers link and release, you know, and cramps are when they link and then they don't want to release. Yeah. So the idea would be you might take that snack before you get the cramp. So maybe when you stop and turn at the midway point. Yeah, I would say, you know what, if you're 30 minutes in and you're going to be out for more than an hour, take your snack at 30 minutes in. Nice one. Now, we're also going to go on now to listener questions. And we have a couple, so I'm going to kick off with the first one. Um, how do you develop sculling ability in those who show potential but aren't skilled enough to go in tippy singles yet? And how do you do this? without overusing your team's skilled scholars who would like to have a good solid training row than always having to teach others in the double. So this is a club admin group organization question. And it comes down to what is the pathway that you take people through from when they're a beginner and they've done a learn to row into becoming integrated in a group? And if you are, have the luxury of being in a large club, the likelihood is you can make a self-contained group of people who are all at very similar skill stages. However, ultimately, you probably do want people to have the opportunity to row with more experienced people. This is a great way to learn, particularly if they're in the same boat and either they can sit behind you and give you a bit of coaching or you can follow them and see what they're doing and know what the boat feels like. From a club admin point of view, my suggestion is that you have a pre-agreed regular outing where it is, this is the time we are helping the newcomers. And then for the rest of the time, your experienced people can then go off and, and do their own thing. And that that is part of what you sign up when you join the club. It's a little bit like volunteering for running a regatta or, or, you know, doing the boathouse cleanup or whatever. So I think this is a question of administration and an expectation of what are the things that you're expected to do and what do you get? I also, in this situation, have had beginners say, I feel so guilty going out in the boat with so-and-so because surely, you know, they you know, I'm really slowing them down. And my answer as a coach is always to reassure them and say, look, they were a beginner once. This is a paying it forward thing. In six months time, you will be doing this for somebody who's less experienced than yourself. And people are always reassured by that. What do you do, Marlene, for these situations? Honestly, I'm in a little bit different situation because we don't have any team boats. Um, yeah. so they don't go, they don't go in team boats, but, you know, I, I do think that it's of, of some other clubs though, that we work with, for example, our fast clubs that we work with through faster masters, you know, there are clubs, like you said, that have set periods of the year in their programs 
where they have a learn to row and then they have a set period where there's an integration and that there's a certain perhaps couple of weeks or certain day of the week for a certain amount of time when they they have more novice rowers integrate into boats like say a four two experienced rowers two new rowers um and and it's it's an organized practice as a learning like as a learning pathway so i think for team boats that can work quite well and it's understood that you know you're helping them they're learning from you the purpose of that session is not that you're going out to get like the best workout you know that's not the the purpose of it i think it's just defining that you know this is to start to experience them um one thing that i that i did do recently is um brought a double down to the club and i i took out some of this year's new scholars started taking them out in the double so so that was a really new experience for them because they had only ever been in a single um, and a, a very stable single at that. So that's another way um, for a sculling in a sculling situation. That's another way of, you know, taking, giving lessons in the double is yes. another way that they get to feel your rhythm. They get, you know, you could have them follow you and then you can switch seats and yeah. have you follow you, you following them is a little bit easier, but you could do yeah. that and then say, okay, well, let's switch seats. Now you try to follow me. Um, that yeah. I think that's a really nice way to give a lesson as a coach or a mentor. Uh, I think you just, as a more experienced person, you have to expect not to roll full slide, you know? So at first, because they, perhaps they don't have the skill yet to really roll full slide, full compression. And if you sit in the bow seat and they're in the stroke seat, you know, mm. you, the experienced scholar can match them and it can be a really nice experience for them to feel a different boat set, to feel a slightly different, different uh, balance. And, um, and it, as a coach, it's another really, really nice way to get insight as to how they're rowing because you feel the pressure, you hear it, you feel it, you feel what the blade is doing, which is different from observing them. Yeah, totally. And as a coach, you can cox as well as uh, be in the boat. Now, the questioner asked, they're not skilled enough to go in tippy singles. And so I would say invest in stabilizer pontoons. So we bought some from revolutionrowing.com. They're 285 US, uh, plus you have to buy brackets. And they snap on and off to boats really quickly. You can literally just slide the post into the bracket and we leave the brackets on the boat. And that works really well. So you can put them in tippy singles on their oh, absolutely. own. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. And I actually have a set of revolution rowing uh, pontoons myself. And I just keep the brackets on. And, you know, when we get into rough, if we get into unpredictable water or particularly the months when we have really cold water, but we still, it's okay to row in terms of weather, um, we use them. And um, yeah, really, you know, and if your club doesn't have the ability to buy a lot of different boats of a lot of different stabilities, you can, you can yeah. regulate your stability this way. And, um, you know, it's a, I think it's, you know, you know a wonderful adaptation. Three well, boats you can put for them the on price singles. of one. <laughs> yeah, you put them on singles yeah. and you can put them on doubles. So, you know, they, yeah. they provide enough stability. 
Um, and then there's there's another one, which is a strap on that goes around the stern of your deck, which was sold by an Irish guy. I'll think what it's called in a minute. Um, but again, nice idea. It's a sleeve that wraps around the stern. And then the pontoons are like a, a bracket. They're like a U-shaped bracket. And then they drop down. So the pontoons are actually on the stern canvas rather than under the riggers. Uh, but very similar oh, idea. Okay. Okay, that's right. And actually, at, at Revolution Rowing, they will customize a bracket for you as well if you, if you need it, because it depends what kind of oarlocks you have and how, how the brackets would attach. But he does do similar things like that. Mm -hmm. But Glenda, how do you dock with the pontoons on the boat? Okay. Our dock, I, you can actually you you can come right up to it. Glenda and just the let the pontoon come alongside. Okay, even so your dock is low deep, enough. Yeah. Even yeah. when it's on its deepest setting, um, you can do that. Okay, so see that's so it's critical that your dock is low enough to do that. Close enough um, to the water, yeah. yeah that's yep. right. If not, I actually have seen if your dock is if you if you wet launch, it's not a problem. It's really easy. Um, if mm. your dock is a little bit higher, I actually have seen someone just just take one punt the dockside pontoon off put the boat in the water get in the water and either somebody just push them out and put it on or i have actually seen people do it themselves like that but um it depends a little bit how your dock is set up quite honestly right yeah yeah that that makes good sense raptor balance spelled w-r-a-p-t-o-r -R. raptor balance is the other one which um is sold um, oh, that's good to know. That. Yeah, and again, I I bought it through Space Saver Rowing, ssrs.net.au. Um, but that's uh, in Australia. Brilliant. So great questions. Did you have a final question, Marlene? Or we done all of the ones? No, I think I think we're good. I'm glad we kind of touched on the on the pontoons and the cramps. And you know, think about your snacks. You know, think about your fuel during your your session, and you know, your electrolytes and hydration and a potato mm. or a banana, whatever you like. Um, you know, salted potatoes are good little snacks for long distance events. And um, you know, that goes that goes a long way. But you know, just. Mm. Stay cool and relax, you know. So who doesn't like a cold salted potato anyway? It's one of the best things. Listen, leftovers. cold potatoes have resistant starch, which is a really good, um, very good for a healthy gut, resistant starch. So any a potato that's cooked and then cools, the starch changes and becomes nutritionally very, very valuable. There we go. So this has been Faster Masters <laughs> Rowing Radio with your potato starch advice. Um, the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. If in listening today you have had any little tidbits of advice that you think are useful, please join the podcast as a subscriber. Go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast and monthly subscriptions start at $1.00. When you become a subscriber, there are some little extras which we do not advertise, uh, which will come to you from us with gratitude. Please tell your friends. And if you haven't done it yet, leave us a review and we will see you next week. Yes, Till then. Thank, thank you, everyone. And mustard and potatoes. <laughs>